Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Poet Wallace Stevens asks, and shall the earth seem all of paradise that we shall know? That would be a resounding yes. We say all that we can know of heaven and hell is right here. It's up to us to throw our weight mightily to the possibility of on earth as it is in heaven, to give ourselves to love, service, justice, peace. I want to reflect with you today on the good work of building spiritual community as we ordain Rebecca to answer the call to that work. To be called to serve as a religious leader sounds so exalted, but it is more like the white lotus flower that blooms from the mud. What underlies the avocation to mine the longing for the beloved community and build of us something greater together than we could ever be alone may well be nothing more and nothing less than loneliness. In that heartbreaking and heartbroken desert of loneliness lie the seeds of our mission and our redemption. Six months ago, Air Force Surgeon Major Dolly Skeet was deployed to serve in Afghanistan for six months, leaving her husband and three young sons, including a five-month-old infant. Thankfully, she has just returned home, and appropriately, much has been made of Dr. Dolly Skeet's sacrifice and of the cost to her children. On this Mother's Day, We think of her and the 100,000 mothers who, since 2001, have left their children to serve in our good name. But it was her husband, emergency room doctor Larry Skeet, the one who manned the home front in his wife's absence, whose poignant comment took my breath away. Speaking for so many left behind, he said, I was profoundly lonely. And what of the even more pervasive loneliness, the frighteningly ordinary loneliness of the times in which we live, festering as it is in the displacement of the extended family, the scattering of the village, and the misuse of technology. Author Stephen March calls it the great paradox of our age. We live in a technological web of connection 
in which we can reach everyone we know and many more we don't know in a nanosecond, yet we have never been more detached from one another or lonelier. So-called connectivity, texts, tweeting, Facebook, finds 35% of adults over 45 chronically lonely, up from 15% a decade ago. 20% of North Americans, 60 million people, are unhappy in their lives because of loneliness. Stephen March equates social media with a fighting retreat from the messy reality of other people. Technology lures us, he says, into increasingly superficial connections at exactly the same moment it makes avoiding the mess of human interaction easy. We avoid the mess, we might add, and the blessings. Between 1985 and 2004, even before Facebook, the average North American's close confidants shrank in number from three to one. One in four people reported having no close friends. Now almost anywhere we find ourselves, we can look up from our touch screens to see other people looking down at their touch screens. We are together, but alone. Social media are turning us into solitary creatures. Author Sherry Turkle writes, sips of online connection provide only the illusion of companionship. She suggests that we put down our devices, look at one another, and start the conversation. Which brings us back to church, literally. Recently, I was sitting with an interfaith group of colleagues, one of whom was bemoaning the fact of a person with difficult behavior who has been disrupting her church. And we all nodded knowingly. Wouldn't it be great just to handpick your people? Someone asked, and we all nodded dreamily. And then someone said, yes. But then it wouldn't be church. It wouldn't be church without all the messiness and disappointment of belonging. It wouldn't be church without all the exaltation and thrill of belonging. It wouldn't be church without the commitment to love, service, justice, and peace. Without the opportunities, sometimes in disguise, to grow our souls. We cannot be reminded often enough of the story from G.I. Gurdjieff's spiritual community in France, where the students were driven to distraction by an old man who was hot-tempered, slovenly, and unwilling to help in any way. One day, after yet another blow-up, the man stormed off and drove away. The students celebrated. 
Gurdjieff, however, took off for Paris in hot pursuit, hell-bent on convincing the man to return. But he had made up his mind, the man said, he was finished. After long negotiations, Gurdjieff offered to pay him a very large monthly stipend to take up residence again. How could he refuse? When he returned and walked in on what was essentially his bon voyage party, his good riddance party, the other students were appalled. When they learned he would be paid to stay, they were in f while they were in fact paying dearly to be there, they were up in arms. G.I. Gurdjieff called together the community, listened carefully to their complaints, and laughed. This man is like yeast for bread, he explained. Without him here, you would never really learn about anger, patience, and compassion. That is why you pay me and I pay him. <laughs> the opportunity for spiritual refinement is a bonus. Shared philosophy and theology, values and politics are a bonus. What really matters in the foxhole of loneliness is the experience of belonging. And at the heart of it all is the feeling of being of use. Here is anonymous testimony. I tell you, she says, I would have died but for the friendships. I was really sick. The doctors had just about given up. Forget it for having any will to live. I can't begin to describe the despair. Beyond the relentless physical pain, there was this utter emptiness of heart and soul. Each morning felt like waking up in hell. And yet, People came and called and cared and stayed. And each gesture came to feel almost miraculous to me. There were moments when I would say, you just don't know what this means to me. And they didn't. They really didn't see it. They really didn't recognize just how much their ordinary expressions of love would do for me. She concludes, on the one hand, I thought it was wonderful that they wouldn't make a big deal out of something that seemed so simple for them, just showing up. But on the other hand, I wanted to shake them and say, do you know how beautiful you are? As if they were angels who had forgotten. Being of use, not alone, but to one another. At best, not in isolation, but with one another. Not looking down at a device, but looking up at each other. Looking up, author Danny, Annie Dillard says, as together we notice not only each mountain shadow and each stone on the beach, but we notice each other's beautiful faces and complex natures.
so that creation need not play to an empty house. Looking up, looking at, or standing side by side, looking out at the world with open minds, open hearts, and open hands. And shall the earth seem all of paradise that we shall know? Beloved spiritual companions, in the end, Wallace Stevens' question hangs not in accusation, but in blessing. We are called, every one of us, to say yes, to give ourselves to making manifest the work of the divine hand on earth as it is in heaven, as if we were angels who had forgotten. Rebecca, I'm going to close with a poem. Thomas Santalella's In the Evening We Shall Be Examined on Love, which is a quotation from St. John of the Cross. Your formal education is complete. And as we ordain you today, always remember, dear one, that the work to which you have been called is above all the creation of the beloved community of memory and hope. From today forward, the exam is about love. And it won't be multiple choice, though some of us would prefer it that way, nor will it be essay which tempts us to run on when we should be sticking to the point, if not together, in the evening there shall be implications, our fear will change to complications, no cheating will be told, and we'll try to figure the cost of being true to ourselves. In the evening when the sky has turned that certain blue, blue of exam books, blue of no more daily evasions, we shall climb the hill as the light empties and park our tired bodies on a bench above the city and try to fill in the blanks. And we won't be tested like defendants on trial, cross-examined till one of us breaks down, guilty as charged, no. In the evening, after the day has refused to testify, we shall be examined on love, like students who don't recall signing up for the course and now must take their orals, forced to speak for once from the heart and not off the top of their heads. And when the evening is over and it's late, the student body asleep, even the great teachers retired for the night, we shall stay up and run back over the questions each in our own way, what's true, what's false, what unknown quantity will balance the equation, what would it mean years from now to look back and know we did not fail. Amen.